Welcome to the Hive Poetry Collective on 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz. I'm Farnas Fatimi, and we have almost all the bees in the hive tonight, and we're really happy to come together for this show. Our show is a spotlight on the poets who run the hive here in Santa Cruz County, and six of us will share new work and talk a little bit about that work tonight. We have in the following order, Nakia Cheney, Julia Capella. Diana Riley, myself, Farnas Fatimi, Victoria Banyales, and Julie Murphy. And I know we're all happy to be here together to share our work. We're gonna circle around and hear one poem at a time from each poet. And we'll talk to each other a little bit about each poem. And then we hope to have time to hear a second poem from each of the six. And I get to introduce Nakia Cheney, one of our more recent Hive members. Nakia Cheney is the author of the full-length poetry collection, Us Mouth, and two chapbooks, Sisfus and Ladies Please. She has served as Inlandia Literary Laureate from 2016 to 2018, and is the founding editor of Chef Poetry, an online journal for exper experimental poetry, and founding editor of Jamii Publishing, a publishing imprint dedicated to fostering community service among poets and writers. She teaches at Cabrillo College in Santa Cruz. Nakia. Thank you, Farnaz. So this is an untitled poem about finding the right tool. We miss it the first day, the first day of many days, and we miss the narratives, the beginnings of the callings of the names, the names of us, renamed into offensive entities like those obscene drawings, cartoons, black faces sketched around white mouths. All those words they mean when they say this is what hysterical is. We miss it, the middle crescendo, the thick of it. We miss our head now into the taste of the bit, the sound of a heavy hand on the ECT machine, the clang of bars closing. We miss the curtain, patience, the rustle of the theater, the gathering of the crowd that always looks like clouds pacing themselves into pots of marshmallow jiggly with anticipation. So many reporters with so many pieces of paper wrapped in so many pins, so many ropes and handcuffs and branches of trees. We miss the way every word, every question that condemns how could you why were you, what were, when we missed it? At the door was a dandelion, petal shriveled, but still spinning like a helicopter, silent, waiting to be collected, then lined up, gilded, hungry, to be carefully fixed back to the stalk that sang its poise, begged to be traced, bony, furred, slipping down into the dirt to find the radical, the tuber, each branched out, saying, count me, bless me, one by one, the vein thin, so proud, it settled its own root far under the porch, a fiber-like oar or quilt that took hours, 
decades and we missed it, your show. But when I think back to that morning, all I remember is that I couldn't remember where I was supposed to be, what role or line I had gotten lost in, the smell of the earth far from shame, the sunlight as loud as a hymn, my finger wrapped around something heavy, something real, like a spade. Wow, thank you, Nakia. Nakia Cheney reading her poem, that was amazing. I definitely have a lot of questions about this poem. And it's interesting that you mentioned when you opened your poem that it was about finding the right tool, which I imagine has a lot to do with this dandelion. And it's so impressive. I know readers can't see the structure and form of your poem, but it changes as soon as the dandelion comes into the picture. Um, not just when you mentioned the dandelion, but at the end of the poem, it almost looks like a porch is what I thought of, like stairs. Could you talk about this dandelion? Yeah, no, thank you, Victoria. Um, I wanted to write a poem about just sort of being happy um, and finding a space uh, where that existed. I had been doing so much what I felt like fighting work, right? Where you're pushing against something and you're trying to get something and and then I missed it, you know, I, I, I missed a meeting that I was supposed to go to. And then I, I was having fun with my daughter and I thought about it and I said, you know, that's the cure, um, finding that, finding those little tiny things that kind of dig their way into the dirt. And those are the roots and that's the dandelion and that's happiness. Um, so you got it, absolutely. Nikia, would you introduce our next poet? Yes, we have Julia Chiapella's um, poetry and she's in her poetry has appeared or is forthcoming in Avatar Review, 170 Review, The MacGuffin, Midwest Quarterly, Perceptions Magazine, Frenzy and The Wax Paper. She is the retired director of the Young Writers Program, which he established in 2012 opening an after-school writing lab and adjacent gallery at the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History. She's received the Gail Rich Award in 2017 for creative contributions in Santa Cruz County. So this is Julia Hiapella. Thank you, Nakia. So good to be here with all my buzzing bees in the hive. I'm gonna read this poem that speaks to my love of raptors. Bird of prey. When you dive, I know it's the flesh you're after, not the fur, the tiny teeth, bones between ankle and thigh, savory, but not what you came for. You'll strip all that while I watch, admire those goat horn talons, that beak, the smooth curve of it down to the tip, razor sharp. Don't I want it? The slash and tear, skin flayed before my eyes. So I stand proud, a stone's throw away, nuzzling my own sweet viciousness that only wants a bite to eat. Only wants to pierce the soft surface, dig into rich meat, eyes intent layers, blank, single focused. Someone else can use the downy outside, slippers, socks, 
and earmuff all settle close by as you finish. Stamp gentle the moist, cold earth. Step back, lift effort of wings. I want those two and cut the air in three great strokes to rise indifferently. Tiny teeth, soft fur left behind, scattered, unnecessary. Thanks, Julia. That was Julia Chiapella reading her poem, Birds of Prey. This is Deanna Riley here. So Julia, I really love the way you make us wait for what it is the bird wants. When you dive, I know it's the flesh you're after, but it's not until, oh, hmm, six lines in or something, maybe seven before we know what it is that the bird is after. And it seems like it's the same thing as the poet, the speaker is after. Definitely, there's that association there, which is what is so compelling to me about raptors there. It's, as I said in the poem, it's their indifference with the way they, they kind of tear apart things and yet are able to get what they want. So, so cleanly, so neatly, and so determinedly. So, it, seems like, yeah. it seems like the speaker wants her own sweet viciousness. That would be spot on, Dion. <laughs> spot on. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the, the little bit of um, interpretation analysis there. I like it. I like it. So it's my pleasure to then introduce Dion O'Reilly. Dion O'Reilly's prize-winning debut book, Ghost Dogs, was published in February 2020 by Terrapin Books. Her work appears in American Journal of Poetry, Cincinnati Review, Narrative, The New Ohio Review, The Massachusetts Review, New Letters, Rattle, The Sun, and other literary journals and anthologies. She teaches ongoing workshops on Zoom and soon maybe in her artsy, messy house. Dion O'Reilly. Thanks, Julia. The man who bathed me in the burn ward was middle-aged and patient as a vulture. And I, what was I? A teenager becoming something else, remnant from a burnt out house, uncured meat, blood fragment of a butchered bird. He pulled me from my sticky bed each day, no, twice a day. He was my morning and night man, lumbering lumberjack of a man, moon-faced man with an unshaved neck, wide girth man with careful hands. He made me grateful for him, tested the water tepid to the wrist, shorted the chlorine for me, that alkaline wire in the water, piranhas on the back skin, razors peeling it. He mixed it first so it didn't whip when it hit, lowered me gentle into that robe of pain, plush pain, warm reminder of that other burning pain. He cleaned me slow, 
didn't seem to mind my screams as he debrided the collops and green clots. His nemesis was the hungry sepsis that ate me. Why did it feel like love? I was the buoyant creature of his hand, strapping ranch girl who wasted and healed, whose skin sucked life from bones and fat to lace the corset of flesh. The grafts took skin, fragile as a winged thing curtained down my back. And when I lay in the final water, he looked at me like a tidbit, told me, told me he'd fixed me up like a fat farm, asked me to the movies. What was he thinking? Did he think I'd want him now that I was whole? That was Dion O'Reilly reading her poem, The Man Who Bathed Me in the Burn Ward. And uh, as with all, all your poems, Dion, I, what I admire about this is how you, it's so visceral, so physical, you take us back years and years and years to something that happened a long time ago. And that viscerality is what conveys all that, the emotion of those times. I mean, tepid to the wrist, railers pe razors peeling. He mixed it first so it didn't whip when it hit. I'm just, I'm, I'm right there. And I'm, I, as I said, I admire it as a, as a poet. Um, I'm curious how you work from a memory that's so, that's so far back. How do you do, how do you do this magic that you do? <laughs> well, it's pretty vivid in my mind still, but I think really the key, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, I think really the key on writing about your life is to make the narrative as nuanced as possible and not to try to make it one story. And so that language of plush robe of pain and the way that I don't make the man completely evil is the, the more I can nuance the story, um, that makes it more real because nothing's ever one thing. Right. It's, I, I guess you ask yourself the question, how do I, how do I, what's the nuance? I don't know if that's what you do, but. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What, what is everything? Like, just let everything in and not try to call it one thing or other, but just try to really see it like it was, because it was not one thing. There were people in that burn unit that were ministering angels, even if they were weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's my turn to introduce you, Farnaz. Um, so Farnas is going to read a poem now here on the Hive Poetry Collective. Uh, Farnas Fatemi's manuscript, Sister Tongue, was a finalist for the X.J. Kennedy Poetry Prize and the Catamaran Literary Reader Poetry Prize, and is out in the world finding its long-term home. You can find her work in several anthologies, including The Breakbeat Poets, Volume 3, Halal If You Hear Me, and How to Love the World, Poems of Gratitude and Hope. Farnaz taught writing at the University of California, Santa Cruz for over 20 years. Thank you. I'm going to read a poem that is just out 
in an anthology, Why to These Rocks, uh, 50th anniversary tribute to the community of writers, summer workshop. It's called Playing Softball After 21 Years. My bones shake themselves out as I take first steps onto the borrowed mountain field two decades after you dragged me to my first game. Linked arm lover under Redwood Grove, your gaze clay. I stand at the outfield grass and look at the pines past the line of the fence. I feel tall and steely, closer to 20 than 60. My limbs hold me in place. So young still, my knees aren't creaky. I chase fly balls. I know this feeling won't last. I punch the leather of my glove. I wish you'd made 40. Two other poets in right field were stretching the rules are talking about a form one is experimenting with. I have that prayerful longing to never forget this moment. They're almost as young as we were. Can you come play here, she says, pointing to second. I have no idea what to do. I jog over. You would have been proud too. I am playing softball with poets. How are you not hanging at this fence? laughing when I tap the ball towards third and arc my way to first. I am all grins when my heel hits the rubber. Safe. Your teeth were so big and it's easy to remember. Look at the treetops and see how thin the air is. Watch a hawk on a high current. I was so lucky you loved me. I make it to third, my legs humming your name and I think it doesn't matter how this game ends. The runner at first is doubled off because she runs on a fly ball. I am disappointed. But today I see what you saw when you coaxed me to play. I was 24 and my flesh hugged my tendons and my bones and was soaked in what had been coming for what seemed like forever. And my legs held strong and my body unfurled. And the promise you made was that all of it was already in me. You were right. My body is still mine, at least a little longer. And it is back with you under the evening lights of that city park in late spring, damp air on our necks and redwood trees in our noses on the drifting breeze. Thank you, Farnaz. That was Farnaz Fatemi reading her poem, playing softball after 21 years. And Farnaz, this, this poem so impresses me with the way you addressed time in a relationship and the compression and expansion of that time. Um, you, you start off and you're talking about two decades after you dragged me to my first game and you've got closer to 20 than 60. I wish you'd made 40. They're almost as young as we were. There's this, I see what you saw, uh, what seemed like forever. So there's all of these phrases that deal with time and it's, it, um, malleability, especially in terms of recollection and relationships. Mm. And I just wonder if you if you want would speak to to that a little bit and 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 you're you're doing that in this poem or if you know maybe it was a happy happenstance. I don't know. But well, I just it, love what's happening. That's a great I thank you for for that observation. Um the the poem came right out of writing down the title. It's, that doesn't usually happen for me, but I wrote playing softball after 21 years 
recalling the experience and and it came from that so it most definitely is about time um and and that happened i think um without intention um but i do your your question makes me just think this is what why i returned to poetry like the the chance to cross time and maybe that's why my where my question for dion came from but i you know even when i read this now it's been you know a few years since i actually started this poem and um it still moves me to remember the person and i get to be in that space and i get to cross decades while reading the poem for myself but I, that's what the work of the poem did was finding those years and bringing them closer to me sort of stitching the the weave across the 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 two places um and pulling them closer and i think i just think as a writer that's that's one of the reasons I keep making poems <laughs> is to do that map to you know make those leaps for myself. It, it's it's great the way you did that, and I love the way you said stitching because it is there's this great stitching that goes on in this poem. I think that's a wonderful little metaphor too. So thank you for that. Um, Julie Murphy is going to introduce our next poet, but first I want to remind everyone you're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz. 90.7 FM, and you have the all the bees in the hive poetry collective tonight. Julie. I'm happy to introduce our next reader. Victoria Banales teaches English at Cabrillo College, is founder and editor of Journal X, and a member of the Writers of Color Collective, Santa Cruz County. Her writing has appeared in various anthologies and journals, including the Ascentos Review, Cloud Women's Quarterly, North Dakota Quarterly, and more. She is the recipient of the 2020 Porter Gulch Review Best Poetry Award and 2017 EOPS Instructor of the Year Award. She lives in Watsonville, California. Thank you, Julie. So this poem is called, I Was Supposed to Be a Boy, Not a Girl. When my sister was born, she was supposed to be a boy, not a girl. Firstborn, she's a girl. Oh, well, that's okay. Que linda. When my sister was born, she was supposed to be a boy, not a girl. Secondborn, she's a girl. Oh, I see. That's all right. Una compañera para la hermanita. When I was born, I was supposed to be a boy, not a girl. Thirdborn, She's a girl? Again? Uy, no. Otra vieja, says my aunt. I mean, one. That's okay. That's quite all right. Something to celebrate. Isn't she adorable? We'll try again. Two, te la paso. Not the best outcome, but it'll do. Las niñas look so cute in their matching pink dresses. But three, now that's excessive. That's one too many, not necessary, unnecessary, not a necessity. What's necessary is a boy, Victor, not Victoria. But I came out rajada, split, roaring and wild like a tiger with premature teeth, thick black matted hair, long nails, clenched fists, ready to fight. Jumping off trees like a monkey, scrapes, scars, and broken teeth. Look at me, I'm Superman, flying off the rooftop. My first concussion at age seven, my second at age nine. 
a palm across my cheek, slap, a belt across my leg, whack, a stick across my back, crack, snot and tears slowing me down, making me more rebellious. Look at me, I'm Evil Knievel, flying off my bike. Uh, placate, act like a girl. Placate, serve a plate, wash the plates. Don't be late, it's time your father ate. But I'm a girl, I'm not acting, I say. This is who I am. Strong enough to be tender, wild enough to howl at the moon. They will try again and again, and as many times as necessary, until they get it right. When Junior is born, firecrackers illuminate the sky. Latinaste, you did it. You finally hit the jackpot. But nothing can stop me from howling at the moon. I too can light up the sky. Look at me, I'm a bright star, brighter than the rest, making my way up, up and away. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. That was Victoria Banales reading her poem. I was supposed to be a boy, not a girl. This is such a marvelous, marvelous poem. And I'm just so struck by the naturalness of the conversation, um, both English and Spanish naturally weaving in through the poem. And this story that's at first amusing, but then becoming more and more serious. And, um, I love the structure of the uh, celebration of the self, but I came out rajada, split, roaring and wild like a tiger. And um, that following up very quickly by the violence and um, the other turns. And then that final uh, claim for the self, but I'm a girl, I'm not acting. And um, the celebration of the self again at the end, it, it, each time it comes around, it's so much deeper. And I, I've been really struck in reading the poem, how dialogue plays such an important role in this poem, from the cute expressions in the beginning um, to the serious quotes, both by the speaker and the other family members. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how you took this whole big theme, this serious th theme, and wound it through these voices. Yeah, you know, it happened with a conversation with my parents and um, my dad uh, sharing a memory. I had heard that the part about this, you know, obviously this is about me, but I had heard the part about my, my mom saying that my aunt said, ay, otra vieja, <laughs> like another hag. But then my dad added onto it and I didn't include that piece. But I mean, I should go back. He's like, you know, your grandpa actually started dancing when your brother was born. And, and it just, it, it comes up in my classes because I teach at Cabrillo and we were doing this unit on, on, on gender and sexuality. And, and we were talking about gender reveal parties and we were like, it just came to, struck me like, okay, he, he didn't dance when I was born, right? It just points out that sexism and yeah. the fantasies that parents have about that boy, having that boy. Maybe it's not going to happen the first time around and that's okay, right? But certainly by the third time, you're really expecting that boy. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just such a, a personal and intimate way to approach such an important subject matter. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you so you. much for the question, Julie. And now oh, it's my welcome. pleasure to introduce <laughs> Julie Murphy. 
Julie Murphy's poems appear or are forthcoming in the Atlanta Review, the Buddhist Poetry Review, Calix, Massachusetts Review, the Louisville Review, and the New Ohio Review online, among other journals and anthologies. A licensed psychotherapist, Julie developed embodied writing. She teaches poetry as a volunteer at Salinas Valley State Prison. Julie lives in Santa Cruz County, California. I'm going to read the poem House of Grief, which is fashioned after Diana Coy Nguyen. One, a house sits on a hillside. Trees part so stars can peer in. There are no blinds. I leave the windows open. I open the windows for the stars. Two. The great horned owl hoo hoos over the house. It is the moon flooding the room. No, not the moon, not the owl. The morning wakes me. Three, and in the riddling, the widow lies alone. Creased pages fall from the carved box. Her hands move toward them like moths. Four, a sister pours the stars into my ears. They take up all the space, make black holes of my memory. They drown out the owl cries. Five, I go back in time to the better before. I go forward in time until I am dust. Six, in the eerie light, you don't know which is worse. Another day, another night. Either way, anger boils sugar on the stovetop. It bubbles, it spatters, it burns. Either way, the other side of the bed is cold. Loneliness studied taxidermy. Loneliness can gut a fish in its sleep. Seven. What is a ring if there is no one to wear it? The earth spins. Is every moment a point on a circle tangent to a line? Eight, all the what ifs in the world never amount to the smell of sulfur when you strike a match. I should have thought to be kind sooner, stirred honey in your tea. Wait, what is the owl saying? Thank you. You've just heard Julie Murphy reading her poem, House of Grief. And Julie, I just wanna say, this is a devastatingly beautiful poem. Um, you're really able to capture the emotional quality of loss, but in the complications of loss as well. And you're not following a narrative structure um, you have these numbering and you're moving from one scene to the other scene. So I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit about kind of writing this poem this way um, and choosing to structure it as you did. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say that this poem was preceded by, you know, at least 80 or 100 other poems on the same topic of, of grief and um, uh, the death of my husband. 
And so um, much of the story has been written out, which helped. Um, and this, in writing this poem, I actually um, copied a poem of uh, Diana Coy Nguyen. And I, she had these eight sections and I went through and looked at each session section of her poem, what was she doing there? And um, some of them were kind of surreal. Some of them were asking questions. And the content of my poem is absolutely different. The flavor, the mood, the tone of it is absolutely different from hers. But from a structural point of view, I followed her structure when she went surreal, I went surreal. When she went intimate, I went intimate. When she went cognitive, I went cognitive. Uh, when she went emotional, I went emotional. And um, it was a surprising exercise for me because it's, um, you know, narrative comes very natural to me, but the surreal and the huge leaps um, is a larger stretch. And I really enjoyed writing this way and I was really surprised at what came out and what came out was just like another layer that I hadn't been able to access before. So um, it was really great. So thank you for asking and thank you for listening. You're listening to the High Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. This is Julie Murphy, and I'm here with the other bees from the hive sharing our recent work. And we're going to continue our show we get to hear one more poem from each poet and we're going to go back around in the same order that we did. Um, we'll keep introducing each other. This um, starting back at the top with Nakia Cheney. Nakia. Thank you. So I'm gonna read a, another um, fairly short poem. Uh, and again, it's also untitled. Um, I have a book that these poems are coming from and I've kind of taken the first line of every poem and turned them into another kind of poem so they're the whole book is a crown so that's why they don't have titles but this one um it's just about that wanting uh that kind of hits you um in the strangest places so you wander out to Friday streets and busk a rap or dream all about the truth of prohibition, of ever wanted parole, from the E-note acoustic rendition of being small and needed by some body stoked by some large separate body that comes forward this time to a stage to light you open. Your eyes like a clink, a change, and an ovation of oval pink lights that may just be string stringed, but so, so what? You don't want this body pulling milk from your skin or crying thin knee tears of the unfairness of your life. Your song re-rendered and broke of every blue note, so much so that this yearning to love, yes, is just a yearn, they all say, for every little bit of what you didn't get. And so, what is this demon of interpretation, this haunting and re-singing of the song? 
We really know that we all sell our souls every day on those corners, hoping for the clink of change in a cup, a little bitty mess of please, one more brown beggar, lonely woman, and the understroke and rhythm of brimstone, of it building coin by coin, enough for bus fare to get back home. This is a great poem, Nakia. That, that was uh, Nakia Cheney giving us her poem. This is Julia Chiapella. And what, I mean, our, our listeners can't see the form of this, but it's, it's almost like it's a, 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 a musical phrase that's going in and out. And um, I love the fact that it's got this very strong musical element in it, both contextually and in the form for me. Um, and just then the repetition too that you have and your use of words is just kind of brilliant here. String, stringed, followed by so, so, and the musicality of that, the re-singing, uh, understroke. It's just, you've got a lot of that in there that just makes this such a gorgeous um, homage to that breaking out of, of the, 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 blue, the blues. It's breaking out of the blues. So I love that. It's just really well done. Thank you for this one. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, and it's, that's exactly it. Um, I, music is a huge part of, of why I write and I, I always need to hear the rhythm of the words. Um, it's really hard for me to kind of get into a poem if I don't feel some kind of rhythm that's happening there. And I've been playing around with a lot of like space on, on, on the page, moving the text around in different ways and trying to break away from just presenting it because um, I want to present it the way it should sound. So, uh, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you did it there. Bravo. All right, so I'll, I'll be up next here and I'm going to read my poem. The title runs right into the poem. So, gratitude, I'm told, eases the mind, centers the heart. So today, when the car whacked that pothole and flattened the tire, I practiced. How grateful to be jerked effortlessly, jaw flung askew, Shoulders rattled, the car sinking toward a gentle lean as air hissed into the ether. Gratitude, I'm told, slows the pulse, up the attraction vibe, gets you the goods you want. So I practiced, nose to grindstone in the tire shop, smell of grease, linoleum floors, car lifts, metal whir. It wasn't merely one tire needed, but four, sidewalls dinged, nail embedded, tread degraded. Breath in, breath out, so grateful. Jesse lumbered slow and patient. My VIN was his, my mileage was his. How could I not be grateful? The downcast eyes, pants slung low, the roll of tender padding above belt line his whispered quote for Bridgestones and free alignment. My hands rested lightly on the counter. The tires could be changed that day. Jesse shifted easily from me to Gen X Tesla guy. Same unruffled cadence, same easy aloofish service. 
bless the pothole, bless the grease, the lug wrench, the socket, listen to my heart slow, ba-bump, ba-bump. Thank you, Julia Chiapella. Um, this is Dion here now. Um, it's hard for me to pick my favorite lines. I, I just want to mention briefly how grateful to be jerked. <laughs> Love that line. But um, I think overall my, my favorite would be my VIN was his. My mileage was his. How could I not be grateful? The downcast eyes, pants slung low, the roll of tender padding above Beltline, his whispered quote for Bridgestones, and free alignment. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, was it difficult to write a loving, almost ode to a very unpleasant situation? You know, thanks, Dion. This one came out fairly quickly. Um, and it because I'm so drawn towards a little bit of um, snark in but wanting to wrap it in a in a contemporary um, homage to those things that we all are supposed to do. Um, it it came out fairly, fairly easily, fairly quickly. Um, and you know, this, this person in the, in the tire shop about whom I write kind of became almost a mythological character in my mind. So, um, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> my Vin was his. Everything. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Um, Julia, I guess it's thanks. my turn to read now. Um, oddly, um, Vicki and I wrote on the same theme. And uh, I think it's really common for women to feel that they came into the world as disappointment when their gender was revealed um, to their parents. Because I mean, when I was born, people couldn't know ahead of time and burned down California when they found out they had to find out. <laughs> when you came out. So I wrote the poem on the same subject. Born a girl. In me lives a mustached man. He's always the boss, always swaggers the playground. In me lives a little man who loves big men and mean dogs. I can't help it. I was witness to a father's hunger. Sky wild for my mother his fingers rubied for her. She hung him like a horse thief, clipped the foaming stud he stole for her, made him cry in a darkened garage. I wasn't what he wanted. Man-child who'd ride with him, enter his swinging doors like a god, pack a mean left hook back to back in a parking lot. Oh, little father in lift shoes, even on your deathbed, you griped about my sex. Old man, I admit it, I like you, starting fights and duking it out, still alive inside me. That was Dionne O'Reilly and her poem titled Born a Girl. And um, I, I like how you, you introduced this talking about the 
the feeling of coming into the world as disappointment, but clearly there's there's an embrace that's happening in this poem to of of who you are, whoever that is, and whatever gender. But it's part of you is that mustached man <laughs> that we get in the first line, and um, and you're I can't help it, just sort of shrugging um, acceptance of it. It does change later, and um, you you admit it. You like the man. You like starting fights and duking it out. Um, and so I love that there's a, an embrace of the man inside, but also the same time you're looking carefully at and seeing that man who is was the father outside. Um, and the, so at the same time, you're there's also kind of acceptance of him and his relationship to you. Yeah, it was a little bit of my coming to terms with who he was after his mm -hmm. death and how part of him is inside of me, mm -hmm. for better, for worse. He wanted me to be a boy. And, you know, I I, I kind of wanted to be. I wanted to punch people out and, mm -hmm. and be a tough guy. And uh, I mean, that that's still inside me. Yeah, and yeah, and that, it's part of you now. Yeah. It's one of the things we love about you. <laughs> I've managed to stay out of um, fist fights in the parking lot. That hasn't happened for a long time. <laughs> Last time was at the Poet and Patriot. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> praise the Poets and the Patriot. <laughs> what a good place. <laughs> Thank you for that, Dion. Thanks for um, that. I'm next. Yes, I just realized I'm next. <laughs> um, and I'm going to read a poem called Instructions. Wait. Seek solace in the unexpected. Be my own good company. Notice plants which don't belong. Appreciate their resolve. Hear out my panicked songs sure of doom. Soothe them with this listening. Each day, restart. Notice, wait, soothe. Imagine seeing mouths when people talk and hugging friends. Sit at the tree of patience. Take what comes. Creepy bird call, bitter chilies. See how my flesh shifts to make room for strangeness. Keep small comforts near as reminders jar of coffee, favorite poem. Only in this way will I survive. Winter sticks around with its chill. I wear all my layers. But at noon each day I unzip, invite the future. I decide to believe that most of us want to save the world. Do something difficult every day and not complain. Help someone do the same. Notice the sprout. Water it. Wait. Wow, Farnaz. This is the kind of poem that I want to tape to my refrigerator. <laughs> uh, it is so amazing. It's so positive and healing. It's a poem that gives advice or instructions, if you will, about love and humanity and kindness and patience and survival and to shed our fears. Um, I was curious, I don't know when you wrote this poem, but 
there is a line that says, imagine seeing mouths when people talk and hugging friends. And I was like, COVID-19 pandemic. Was that part of your inspiration or not? Yes, very much. I wasn't writing many COVID poems, but um, but it came out of that time. And it, it certainly COVID and being uh, inside, isolated, um, and living in a time of uncertainty made me think a lot about patience. And so I think patience was at the heart of the, the driver of the poem was how to how to how to do that, how to live patiently at the same time as imagining the world I want to, to imagine. Um, so how to, how to have those two be together at the same time. And so I was thinking about that, the sort of, those sort of big things um, and trying to help myself do, do those things. <laughs> so the instructions certainly are to myself, um, but I'm glad that they, they, you find something in them for you too. Absolutely. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful poem. Very healing. All right. It's my turn next. I'm reading Hourglass. Sometimes when I'm loose and free, she sneaks up on me behind a guava bush, springs forth and sways like a freshly loose spring. Sometimes when I'm feeling blue and the sickness spreads like algae blooms, she glides toward me, dips her fingers in an inkwell, infuses lavender and aquamarine. Sometimes when the elements are roused and sheets of rain pound the earth and mangroves moan and sway like flutes and tambourines, that's when she arrives, filling my mouth with fine sands of a desert storm, filling my ears with song of a nightingale, filling my belly with voice of an ancient woman, copper skin crinkling with laughter, blinding and white like a sun. That's when she arrives, extends and guides with delicate hands, sits me down gently in front of a dancing fire, crackling branches, release the sweet burning smell of mesquite, incense and ground maize. But when I stare stone-faced at the screen, immobilized and stiff, caught in the hurricane's eye of Medusa's glare, when my orbs are like fish, when not even Dali's crutches can hold my lids in place, when I scramble in search of the grinds to deal with the grind, when the hourglass breaks and desert storms turn to quicksand and fine white particles blind and burn, that's when she departs in dramatic fashion, like a power outage. One minute she's here, Next minute she's gone, and I can hear nothing but the early morning cries of sirens and alarms. Oh, thank you. That was Victoria Banales reading her poem, Hourglass. I, I love this poem, Victoria, and uh, I love how it ends in all of this noise. It's just uh, fantastic. And, I, you know, in, in reading it and hearing you read it, I'm really struck by um, the use of anaphora throughout the poem where you repeat sometimes when, sometimes when, and later on it's that's when, that's when, and when, and when, and it builds up this feeling of expectation through the poem. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how you went about writing about this? 
You know, it's funny. I wrote this poem, I don't know if it was like a couple months ago. We had a big power outage in Watsonville and lost power for 12 hours. And I was literally like in the dark with candles and a lantern and and losing my mind because I had to prepare for my classes. And I was working with a hotspot on my phone. It was so bad. But at the end, I just sat and wrote a poem. And it is about how when you're so distracted with work, you, you just sometimes can't write, you know, mm-hmm. she is my muse and she'll mm-hmm. depart in anger and be like, you don't have time for me. I don't have time for you. <laughs> so that that's where the, the poem came from. It's literally me writing at like four in the morning because I mm-hmm. had no power and I was struggling with this hot spot and I was so underslept, but lo and behold, right? We need those moments of silence to be able to produce quiet well, yeah, and I also love how the language, you know, when you're with that muse uh, is the freshly loose spring, sickness spreads like algae blooms, dips her fingers in an inkwell, infuses lavender and aquamarine. The language is very flowing through there too. So it really expresses the emotion of what you're um, going after. So thank you. Um, I guess I will read my poem and this will be the last poem of our show. This is Julie Murphy. And the poem I'm gonna read is called To Ask. To wear your dead husband's sweatshirt long after his scent has faded, the cotton soft, wrist and waistbands frayed, the white wriggly field still bright, to pull the hood over your head, nestle into darkness the way he would on a cold night. To conjure him, slideshow of your lives playing in the background, shot by shot, as if this cloth could incarnate the self who wore it day after day, year after year, or the self who you were, to be that self for an instant, glimpse, whatever it was, joy, sorrow, that made you whole. To know yourself forever changed, glimpse or no glimpse, gone forever. To not know in the vast space of grief who you could ever become and ask who without despair to ask with hope. It's a beautiful poem, Julie. Um, so moving, and it's you. You, I think you obviously know that you're conjuring both the joy and the sorrow that a, something like a sweatshirt can bring mm-hmm. back. Um, but it's it's so powerful because it does both at the same time in this poem. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a pretty um, common experience to hold tight to uh, an object or a garment of clothing after someone's passed. And um, there is a way that it just conjures so much. And, um, you know, this was a garment that my husband wore all the time. In fact, he wore out two of them. (laughs) This was the second one. (laughs) And uh, this sweatshirt happened to be a a gift to him from my sister when we got married. It was kind of a welcome to the family. We're Cubs fans. My family's from Chicago. And 
<laughs> so it's, it's also kind of full of that symbolism also and holding our lives like, you know, everyday objects do. So. Yeah. And obviously I have an affinity towards baseball. So I appreciated the <laughs> the Wrigley Field reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. Oh, I, ahead, sorry. Um, that was a lovely last poem for the show. And we are just about running out of time. Um, you were, listeners, you heard Nikia Cheney, Julia Capella, Julie Murphy, Deanna Riley, Victoria Banyalis, and me, Farnas Fatemi. And we are the Hive Poetry Collective. We'd love for you to look for us on hivepoetry.org, where you can see past episodes. Also engage with us at, on our Facebook page at the Hive Poetry Collective. And let us know what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, let us know you're out there um, and keep in touch. This again is KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz. Thanks for listening and thanks to all of you. Thanks for hosting us, Farnaz. True pleasure. Thank you. Save the